So how many of you like Tolkien's Lord of the Rings? You have to raise your hand because I got to see the hands. Okay, you can be members in this church. <laughs> I think the 5th of John, verse 3, says something about church membership and Tolkien, if you look carefully. Harry Potter, superheroes, Greek mythology uh, classics, fantasy, fairy tales, fantastical creatures and beasts and worlds <laughs> and plot lines, right? Tolkien says the good ones are a far-off gleam or echo of evangelium or good news. Tolkien says, good fairy tales scratch the itch in the human heart. The deep longings in the human heart to experience the supernatural, to uh, escape death, to know love, to know a love that never leaves you, to fly, right? To talk to non-human beasts and characters, to talk to animals, Narnia, to fly to triumph over evil, Tolkien writes, the Gospels contain a fairy story, a story of a larger kind which embraces all the essence of fairy stories. <laughs> they contain many marvels, peculiarly artistic, beautiful, and moving, mythical in their perfect, self-contained significance. And among the marvels is the greatest and most complete, conceivable eucatastrophe. You know what that means? He made it up. It means a good catastrophe, a eucatastrophe, a good catastrophe. But this story has entered history and the primary world. The birth of Jesus Christ is the eucatastrophe of man's history. And the resurrection is the eucatastrophe of the incarnation, he goes on to say. The story begins and ends in joy. There's no tale ever told that men would rather find was true. And none which so many skeptical men have accepted as true on its own merits. For the art of it has the supremely convincing tone of primary art. You know what Matthew says in 1, 18 through 25? All good stories point here. Every single one of them. All good stories are an echo, borrowed reality from here, this passage. All human longings point here this passage. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. <clears throat> Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now when the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, 
He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, O Lord, we thank you that our life is hidden with you in God, and we ask that you would fill us with your spirit and you would You would cause us to wonder. You would cause us to gasp. You would cause us to grasp what's happening here. So open our eyes, work in our hearts, fixate us on you with the peace of Christ. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, let's open your Bibles, your electronic devices. Look at verse 18, shall we? It says, now the birth, that literally means the Genesis. Isn't that great? Now the Genesis of Jesus Christ took place in this way. You know, it echoes all the way back to the original book in the Bible. Now, this is what the passage is all about. So this is the central idea. This is the big idea. This is the dominant thought of this passage. What is it? The magical birth of Jesus Christ. Magical, right? The birth of Jesus is the deepest magic of them all. I mean, look at this. Look in verse 18. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, before any sexual union, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Verse 20. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, quoting Isaiah 7, 14. Behold the virgin, a woman who has never experienced sexual union, shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. I mean... What is the deep magic in this passage? Mary is a virgin. She's never experienced sexual union. And yet she's with child. What? Impossible. No way. This is stuff in fairy tales. What's the deep magic here? Mary is a virgin. She's with child. And God is the father. Abracadabra. Speliamus. Stupefy. What kind of spell is being cast in this passage? What? This is fantastical. What's the deep magic here? Mary is a virgin. She is with child. God is the father. And the baby is God himself. Release the supernatural. Escape death. This is love that never fails and never ends. Fly. Talk to animals. Live forever. Never age. Never age and accomplish everything you've always wanted to accomplish in life, and it happens. Eastern religions believe God is an impersonal force. That means he's a force that permeates all things. So he permeates humans, he permeates every animated, material, created matter. So some of you can have more of God than others. So some of you can be more God-like, more shaman-like, more Confucius-like, more Buddha-like, more Gandhi-like. Western religions at the time of Jesus, though, the Greco-Roman world, believed that there were many gods in the world, and these many gods were competing for all the power in creation. 
Sometimes they disguise themselves in human beings. Zeus could be an emperor, or Hermes could be the just stranger on the street. But none of the many gods in the Western world around Jesus, the Greco-Roman world, none of them had absolute omnipotent power. Now enter the Hebrew world, Matthew's world, the biblical world, where God was both infinite and imminent. He was both transcendent and personal. He created everything. He's outside it. He's above it and beyond it. He's holy. The chasm between creation and creator is infinite. And yet he loves it and he relates to it. Therefore, the Hebrew God is not an impersonal force that you become one with or creation becomes one with. Nor is the Hebrew God many gods that compete for all the power there is to play in the world's realm. In Matthew's world, a human being God is inconceivable. It's the stuff of magic. Very difficult. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. God with us, Emmanuel, is deep magic. It's the deepest magic in the cosmos. And it means three things. Jesus is God. Jesus is human. Jesus is God with us. So let's look at this a little bit before we look at the implications, shall we? Jesus is God. Well, we just looked at this. Jesus originates from the Holy Spirit. That's mentioned twice. Jesus originates from the second person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, God himself. Matthew mentions it twice. Isaiah records it as Jesus is the son, is Emmanuel, which is God with us. So it's not a prophet with us. It's not a spiritual leader with us. It's not this holy, moral, good teacher who's with us. It's God with us. Infinite, imminent God. Grasping the incarnation, Jesus is God, God with us, is a watershed belief. You know what that means? That means if you and I grasp that Jesus is God, God is with us, it's a watershed belief. In other words, it takes all the other objections we have in life about God, takes all of them and dissolves them. If you grasp Jesus is God, there are no other objections. So let's take a look at this. If it's hard for us to believe in miracles or creation or Adam and Eve or the Bible's the word of God or Jesus walked on the water or he rose from the dead or that your crazy neighbor could be a Christian. If it's hard for us to believe that, if Jesus is God, if Jesus is God with us, if Jesus is God come to find us, then of course there's creation. And of course the Bible's the word of God. And of course there was an Adam and Eve. Then of course Jesus walked on water. Of course a crazy neighbor can be a Christian. And so can you. Of course. Packer explains it this way, God became man, the divine son became a Jew, the almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises. 
needing to fit, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fish fiction is so fantastic as the truth of the incarnation. Many people say, I can't believe in miracles. Well, it's from misbelief or at least inadequate belief about the incarnation that difficulties at other points in the gospel story usually spring. But once the incarnation is grasped, your objections dissolve like water. They just drain away. The deep magic of God is with us means Jesus is God. But it also means Jesus is a human. God became fully human. He became one of us. You know what the writer of Hebrews says? He says, look, he was made like us in every way, fully human in every way. Why? Because the Hebrew writer says, to comfort you and to conquer the unconquerable for you. So in other words, to comfort you and to strengthen you, to comfort you because he's like us. He enters into your sin. He enters into your darkness. He enters into your suffering. He enters into this world's realm. He experiences it to comfort us, but he triumphed over it, so he enters in as a conqueror who conquers sin and who conquers death and who conquers darkness and all suffering, takes it to himself, takes it to the grave, destroys the destroyer. One theologian explains it this way. Christmas says God has been all the places you have been. He's been in the darkness you are in now and more. And therefore, you can trust him. You can rely on him because he knows and has the power to comfort, strengthen, and bring you through. So if you've been betrayed, so is Jesus. Are you unloved? So is Jesus. Are you lonely? Is sin damaging you and hurting you, your relationships? So is Jesus. Did God, does God not answer your prayer? Jesus prayed, oh God, take this cup from me. And God said, no, I won't answer that prayer. Do you feel forgotten by God? Abandoned by God. Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why, how have you forsaken me? Forgotten me, abandoned me, left me. Jesus has experienced it all to comfort you. And he conquered it all so he can strengthen you in the midst of it. Deep magic is God with us. Emmanuel means Jesus is God. Jesus is human. Jesus is God with us. If God was only holy, there would never be a Christmas. If God was only holy, he would never come down to earth. Here's the way the world would be. He would absolutely demand that you be a perfect human being. He would absolutely demand that you love him and love others perfectly. He would absolutely demand that you be holy because he is holy. And all your being and all your thinking and all your desires and all your feelings and all your relationships and all your words and all your actions, period. You would need to be a perfect human being. He would demand it in order to establish 
to merit, to maintain a relationship with him. So not only to get in, but to maintain it. You could be accepted and loved if you are holy as he is holy. If you love perfectly as he loves perfectly. If you're a perfect human being and reflect his holiness. Period. That's it. Some will do it, some will not. In other words, it's a world that is completely governed by justification or judgment by your works alone. He would never come down to earth. There would never be a Christmas. You either do it or you don't. That's it. Now, if God was only accepting, there would never be a Christmas either. He would never be with us either. He'd never be with us if he was only holy. He would never be with us if he was only accepting. Why? Because he wouldn't come to earth. He wouldn't need to come to earth. He would overlook all of our sin and our darkness and our evil and our death and our suffering. He'd overlook it. He'd actually accept it. He'd actually bring it into himself. He'd actually embrace it. All sin, all evil, all darkness, all death. In other words, a holy, immaculate, infinite God would become unholy. become indifferent. Oh, you're suffering? Yeah. That's a wretched evil. Keller explains, neither the God of moralism, God is only holy, nor the God of relativism, God is only accepting, would have bothered with Christmas. God is so holy He had to come down to find us and rescue us, to destroy the destroyer of our sin and our death and our evil and all suffering. God is so loving, he wanted to come down to find us and save us, to take our place. How does this deep magic of God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus is God, Jesus is human, Jesus is God with us, how does that change us? I mean, how should that shape our life? How should that impact us? What kind of, what should it do to us? Well, some of them are explicitly mentioned in this passage. Others are inferred. Here's the first inferred one. Wonder at it all. (laughs) Wonder at it all. It's magical. It's absolutely magical. So put up lights, sing, feast, give presents to one another, love one another, love Jesus. What should the deep magic of God with us do to us? Wonder at it all. Yeah. And the next is be brave. Be absolutely resolutely brave. Can you imagine what that first conversation was like? Joseph, I'm pregnant. But it's not what you think. Huh? God impregnated me. 
The moment Joseph believed the baby in Mary was God with us is the moment one writer said he could kiss his reputation goodbye. The reputation of Joseph from the moment he believed the baby was God with us in Mary. The moment he believed it, his reputation left. He kissed it goodbye because the reputation he has is one of two choices. In a honor-based, shame-based religious culture, this is all you got. Either he committed premarital sex with Mary, and that's why we have this baby, or someone else did. Joseph is now a second-class citizen in a highly octane religious culture. God with us, though, strengthens Joseph to forget himself, to forget his reputation, to forget his honor, to forget his glory, to forget what people think of him, to actually unplug his identity from people determining it, from performance determining it, and he embraces Mary, believing. In other words, God with us gave him the strength, gave him the courage to actually lose his reputation, kiss it goodbye. Some of you know what that means. I catch myself so many times wanting to defend myself in certain situations that I had nothing to do with, but I know people think I did. I should just kiss it goodbye, right? But what are they going to think if I don't tell them what really happened? Kiss it goodbye. God with us gives you the strength and the courage to kiss your reputation goodbye. You don't have to defend yourself. He does. This blew my mind. Jesus also had to kiss his reputation goodbye. In John 8, this blew my mind. We were meeting with the Skype or the whatever on the computer, talking with the other pastors, and I said, I can't get over this one. This one just, it's, it's a big deal for me. I just, I'm, I think I'm just thinking it, the implications of it for the first time. In John 8, the religious leaders came up to Jesus and they said, you are a son of fornication. You're a son of sexual sin. You're a bastard. Jesus lived with that reputation for 33 years. He was 33 years old. That means everybody knew that story for his whole life. It's startling. Think about this. The beginning of Christianity was embroiled in a sex scandal. Who's the father? Who's your daddy, Jesus? That's breathtaking. Jesus kissed his reputation goodbye. What should the deep magic of God with us do to us? It should free us to admit, I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. Not like in a general way, but with some real texture and some real specifics to admit that I am a sinner on a daily, regular, lifestyle way as a manner of actually living. 
as a manner of actually going through life and relationships and church and career and school and everything. Look at verse 21. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Do you notice the plural? Sins, not sin, sins. So this means the original corrupt nature and the many, many, many manifold manifestations of it. Sins, right? This is completely unexpected because Israel was expecting a, a Messiah that was supposed to save you from sinners, from Egypt, from Babylon, from Rome, not save sinners like you and like me and like Romans, like Babylonians, like Israelites, like Samaritans, like religious leaders. Jesus' mission is to save sinners, we're told. Not good people. Not people who think they can save themselves. Sinners. Oh, Lord, I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. I need your death. I need your cross. I need your pardon. I need your forgiveness. And so begins the Christian life and so grows the Christian life and an ever ongoing growth into that grace. What should deep magic of God with us do to us? We should cry out. God, help. God save, God rescue. Do you know what Jesus' name means? God help, God save, God rescue. And so God's answer to the primordial cry of every human being and the primordial need of every human being is Jesus. I save you. I love you. Every time you say Jesus' name, you are saying that, that God saves you alone. Jesus saves you alone. God loves you, a messed up sinner. So have a merry, merry, magical Christmas. <laughs>